This episode is brought to you by ConvertKit, the email marketing tools and automations that you need to grow your business. Get started building your email list for free today at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash ConvertKit. This episode is brought to you by Balagan Be Gone. Join the painless Pesach decluttering challenge at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days. That's the number 36 days. Challenge starts February 14. Balagan Be Gone's painless Pesach decluttering challenge at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days. Jewish Latin Princess episode 148, Stephanie Heller, business coach. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome back to the show. I am back, ladies, from a very unplanned, very much unplanned hiatus. I usually make an announcement that I'm going to be gone for a week or two from the podcast, or I'll leave some reruns ready for you. Well, without getting into the details, let me just tell you, I'm exhausted and it's only February. Could it be? <laughs> Could it be that it's only February? I don't know about you, but I certainly need a vacation. I'm so ready for a vacation before the spring madness. And you know what that refers to, right? Two of our favorite holidays, Purim and Passover. Indeed. Are you hating me for bringing them up? <laughs> no, they're so much fun. Believe me, I love my holidays. But there is a certain rhythm to life um, around that time. But anyways, let's get into some cool announcements before I get to today's guest. I've been on several podcasts recently, but one that aired this past week was the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman, and that was a blast. You may remember professional organizer Rebecca Saltzman from way back on episode 27 of this show. Can you believe it? Sounds like ages ago, right? So Rebecca had me come into her show and talk about organizing your money, something that I have become very good at. Although I will admit, and you've heard me say that that say that when that was not the case when I was in my early 20s. It certainly was not. But it certainly is now. And I have a lot to say, obviously, about money and what kind of bank accounts you need to have and how to invest and all sorts of good stuff. So you definitely should catch that episode on iTunes or, I don't know, wherever you listen to this show or any show, because it really is chock full of my tips. I mean, our, our conversation went in all different directions, even directions that Rebecca had not planned. But I give tips on organizing your money, on talking to children about money and more. I know you're going to enjoy it. So head over to Jewish um, to sorry to journey to organization podcast <laughs> um, where you can find that episode. I've also been a longtime supporter of Rebecca's programs, and a lot of my listeners have told me how helpful her programs have been, especially the one that I'm about to tell you about, which I've promoted before on this show. And as I said, many of my listeners have loved it, and that is the. Balagan Be Gone Painless Pesach 36 Day Decluttering Challenge. Does anybody remember this decluttering challenge from another Passover? Well, it's back and I'm telling you about it again. Now, I will say before I tell you about the 
36-day decluttering challenge, before I tell you what it's about, I'm going to raise my hand and say that I'm doing this Balagan Be Gone Painless Pesach challenge because honestly, between this pandemic and the increased foot traffic of humans inside my home, humans that I adore, the reduction in household help, being halfway through some home repairs and remodels, don't ask, and thankfully increased amount of work that I love. My home, I will admit, has taken a total backseat. I'm in desperate need of decluttering and organizing. And if I don't take this seriously before Passover, ladies, I'm going to be chopped liver. And I very much dislike chopped liver. So seriously, I've never been so desperate to get my home back in order. So when Rebecca told me that she's launching this challenge again, I said, not only am I game, but I'm promoting it because chances are my listeners are in a similar situation as me. They probably need this push to get themselves ready for Passover. I mean, do we even have to talk about the benefits of decluttering, whether it's Passover or not? We don't, right? I don't think so. So if you're with me and you want to take the Balagan Begone Painless Pesach 36-Day Decluttering Challenge, head over to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days. That's the number 36, 36, and the word days. jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days to join me in the Balagan Begone Painless Pesach 36-Day Decluttering Challenge. Not just me. A ton of other women. Yes, we get to declutter our homes. Trust me, it's worth it. Okay, let's dive right into today's topic, which ended up not being about COVID as I had planned due to some issues with my guest audio, but I have a quick, a great guest, a different guest than, than planned originally, Stephanie Heller. Stephanie Heller is a business coach and an entrepreneur. She became a personal chef um, after an early midlife crisis where she decided that's what she was going to do. And she grew this business to well over half a million dollars in revenue when she decided that she wanted to, as she was transitioning into more of a role of a CEO, more people were coming to her asking her, well, I want to replicate what you've done. I want my experience as a trained chef um, and use it to build a business like you have. So she started coaching people and helping them replicate the model. And eventually, this has led to her letting go of that business and altogether and start her own coaching practice where she now not only coaches personal chefs who want to um, create their own business, but business owners, especially in the early stages. Um, so she went from having the most discerning corporate clients like sports teams, Hollywood stars and the like, and cooking for them and having teams of people who cooked for them, um, to becoming a business, a, a business coach. And so we delve into that a lot. Like why would she go from specific to general? What really can she do to help owners? And how is it that she claims that there's a hundred percent ROI on some of the tools that she teaches? I was very intrigued about that. I have to tell you, this conversation was quite intriguing for me on many levels. The, oh my gosh, the idea of focusing on one thing, um, um, definitely like you all know, not a strong suit, right? I have a few things that I take care of, <laughs> although I've gotten better. I definitely have gotten better on the focusing department, but sticking through, um, one thing, an idea, not just sh jumping ship, um, kind of the type that pivots very fast and fearlessly. Some might say I just pivot, um, 
coaching oneself. We talk about that. How, how does one do that? I like, I don't know. She tells me not relying on another source of income to do the next thing. That's something that I usually preach um, that she kind of set me straight on that and setting a super huge ambitious goal. She calls it an impossible goal instead of an ambitious goal that is somewhat attainable. It's out of your comfort zone, but attainable. We have that debate. Um, There's so much about this conversation that made me think or rethink certain things I thought I knew about life and business. And I know that it's going to do that for you. Here we go, ladies. Here's Stephanie Heller. Stephanie Heller, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. How are you? I'm amazing. Thank you so much. It is so good to have you on the show to connect with you. We have so much to talk about. You are a business coach and I want to dive into your work, which I find fascinating because I was perusing your content and your website. But before we get into that area of your current work, I want to get started with your initial business as a personal chef, how you started that, how you grew it. And then we can possibly get into why (laughs) not continue doing that and scaling that further and transitioning into business coaching. So take us back to the beginning and personal chef. I mean, super cool. Let's dive into that. It's like the best party opener when you go to a party and people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a personal chef. They're like, what? Like, yeah, it's a little cooler than business coach. I have to say. I know. I sometimes (laughs) just tell people my old thing. No, now I say I'm a retired personal chef, which is okay even more fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So how did I get there? I like to say I had a midlife crisis at 30, like an early midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, I was living in New York City and I was jumping from job to job. And no matter how much money I made or what I did, I was never happy. And I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So I moved across the country to Scottsdale, Arizona which is where I am. I went to culinary school and I was looking for these four things. I wanted a career that was portable, meaning if I traveled, I could do it. Mm -hmm. I wanted no ceiling on my income. I didn't want to be handed a paycheck or be told how much I was going to be paid. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make my own schedule and work with my hands to help people. Those were the four things. And I was like, how am I going to do that? So I went to culinary school. I did not come from a food family, which I know a lot of people find weird, especially being Jewish. Um, and I learned how to cook by working in people's homes. And but 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 wait, but the yeah. attraction. I mean, there were there are possibly a, a thousand other things we could do that satisfy those four things. And I do right. want to highlight that there's your business coach mind because. The truth is most of us are not that clear on what we want. And you like, Mm -hmm. really, you knew those were the four things you wanted. That's like already like, oh my gosh. And that's when you're having a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. But wait, so why cooking if you didn't come from a cooking bag? I mean, were you even attracted to the kitchen? I was. I like the actual making of something and using your hands. And I thought worst case, I will learn how to cook for when I get married. I wasn't married yet. Okay, okay. And then I'm like, absolute worst case, if this doesn't work, I spent $30,000 on culinary school and I will know how to cook for my husband, which I don't think. This makes a great date. By the way, just so you know, I'm ready for cooking. I spent a lot of money to become a wife. 
Exactly. So what attracted me to cooking? I don't know. I, first of all, Top Chef was huge then. Like, do you know that show on Food Network? I actually don't. (laughs) It's basically when it first started the first year or two and how all these chefs would compete with each other Mm. to own a restaurant. And it just showed it in this very glamorous, fun way. And I was like, I could do that. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So you go to culinary school. Yes. And do you think you want to have a restaurant? Because that's a pretty slaving business. I don't think that's what you wanted. Exactly. It is the exact opposite of what I wanted. Everyone in my class was like, I want to be an executive chef. I want to own my own restaurant. I was the only one who was like, I want to be a personal chef and I'm only working in people's homes. No catering company, no meal delivery, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And not even two years after we graduated, none of them were working in the industry. I was the only one. So I knew having that life balance was so important because it's a cutthroat, horrible industry. I don't know if you know anyone in it, but um, I I can imagine. Yeah, it'll it's very hard. So okay, so you you start working as a personal chef, and you start scaling this and then you have employees and you hit some big revenues, I think over half a million dollars a year. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Is it fulfilling these four things? It was in the beginning, like, I would say years one to three, I was like, this is my dream come true. Nothing could be better. Um, I still had time to do what I wanted. I met my husband, we got married and my clients were getting better and better. Like entire baseball teams, billionaires, like you were getting kind of addicted to that, like high of working Mm -hmm. for people like that. Mm -hmm. And the phone just kept ringing and we had no paid advertising at that point. So Mm I just your prices have increased. They have. Okay. So started hiring people. And that's it takes on a whole new animal when you have to manage people and train people. And then it's like something different. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. So is that what triggered a change in careers? Not or was it something I, else. Yeah. No, I got it to the point where I had a culinary manager who ran all the day-to-day operations. Like I was really like an owner owner where I had almost nothing to do with the day-to-day, which was amazing to accomplish and still keep that revenue that high. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't an absent owner. I was still there and involved. But I started to coach personal chefs how to start their business Mm. at the end, the last three years. And people were just like, how do you do this? Because it's an industry that you kind of have to crack Mm -hmm. once you get it. Like they were like, just show me how to do this. Uh-huh. So I've heard this kind of pattern before. So it's like people are coming to you to ask you, how did you do it? I would like to replicate this, but mm-hmm. you know, I haven't found. So you start giving advice to people and it's not really official yet. And then that's when mm-hmm. the light bulb comes. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, I do have to ask, because you wanted to work with your hands in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It, were you willing to let go of that? Because at this point, you're a CEO of this company. You're not in the kitchen, so you're not working with your hands. And obviously, today, you're not either. Right. You know, Was that something that you were willing to trade, I'm assuming? It was very hard. That transition was heartbreaking, but necessary. Because yes. 
I would still get these calls in. And then when you hear who's coming in and it's like this actress filming something here, I'm like, oh, I should go cook for them. Mm -hmm. And then my manager is like, you don't even, you're not even on the schedule. Like you're not doing, like you don't even understand because you just want to jump in and do it. So yeah, it was hard. I had to find other ways to be creative. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Hobbies. Exactly. Our business can be our business and then we get a hobby (laughs) to satisfy that other need. It's hard to it's hard to, I guess, become the CEO. It's hard to do that shift when Mm -hmm. we've been so in the business for, you know, since it's a baby, since inception. Now, it begs the question. So people want to know how you do it. So why not stay focused on that type of consulting? Why not just become the one person that you know, I will teach you how to crack the code of becoming a personal chef for the uber wealthy and the sports teams and the, you know, celebrities and whatever. Yeah, I wrestled with that too. Because I was like, it's such a small niche or like very niche down that I could really just stay there and do that because it people want it people want that profession. And I noticed a lot of my tools were missing because I couldn't really manage my mind enough to stay there. And I had to like, basically, I wanted to be certified as a life coach so I can fill in those spots that I always saw other people and myself falling into. Okay. And that's kind of when I said, I still help a lot of personal chefs, I would say 30% of my clients, they just come to me. But now it's really business owners in years one to three. Mm-hmm. But um, that mind piece was missing for me and mm-hmm. caused me a lot of pain. And I saw it in other people too. And that's kind of when I went back and said, let me just start this business right. Do it like that. And um, we're going to move on. So so let's talk about that because I think I've, I've read your materials. You are huge on this, on working on the mindset and the mindset. Very specifically, you talk a lot about overthinking and how so many of us entrepreneurs tend to overthink versus perhaps, I don't know, making decisions quicker or being more decisive? Like what is the alternative? Talk to us about this process. Right. If you think about it, we're never taught to make decisions. And even as kids, it's like just a skill you're never taught, but then you're supposed to grow up and choose a career, go to college, you know, whatever you're supposed to do, but you literally don't know how. So I went back and was working with people who were just it seemed really unfocused or like Mm -hmm. unable to what I call constrain down to one thing and focus on it. And they kept saying like, I just can't stop overthinking or worrying or I'm confused. And I just found that that was a pocket that was always stopping people, no matter what the business. Yourself included. You had experienced the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I learned how to use the tools that we learned in the life coach school mm-hmm. for myself to stop overthinking, make a decision, like my reason, stick with it, evaluate, and then either choose again or make something different happen. And are these the five tools that you talk about that you say you get a hundred percent ROI on? That's one of them. 
Okay. So, so let's, yeah. let's, let's go through those. Cause you know, yeah. when I read hundred percent ROI, I'm interested. Yeah. What, what are those? <laughs> Magic. It works every time. No. Um, so the first one is called the model and that is how I teach people how to self-coach themselves. Ooh. So you're not always dependent on something outside of you for how you feel and how to get what you want. You're taking responsibility. So mm-hmm. I teach them how to use the model. It's a way of looking at your thoughts. It's easy. You just need a lot of practice doing it. Um, that's one and that, that's the foundation. The second one is making decisions from a clear place and then how to clear that out. Mm-hmm. Um, the third we work on is what I call manuals. And it's like your working manual about how you think the world should work and how the world should work for you. Mm-hmm. We got to clear a lot of that up to get people the result they want. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks it should happen. And these manuals are unwritten. We don't even know what they are until it plays out, mm. especially in relationships and stuff like that. So amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so let's dive a little deeper because I mean, there's so much here. I mean, even starting from, okay, as entrepreneurs, you know, we're talking about mindset and we're talking about focus. You used the word focus before, right? I mean, most of us where I, we probably fall into the trap of, we have so many ideas mm-hmm. and one day we're sitting with an accountability partner and we decide, yeah, this is where I'm going. This makes perfect sense. And this should be my next thing. And two hours later, we're in the shower and we have a different idea. And then that becomes the thing. And before we know it, we still haven't become decisive and executing on any of those ideas. So, so maybe speak to that. What would you say to that? What, I mean, is this part of the creative process that everybody should be going through or until we land somewhere, or is there something better that we could be doing? I guess that's the question. I think it's a skill to be learned. You're, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. You're always going to want to jump to the next thing that feels better. And especially in business, when you don't know what's working, it's like, I'm going to try this and then I'm going to try this. And I don't know about this and I should do this So You're so diluted that your power is now all over. Mm-hmm. So I think choosing and sticking with it is a skill that you have to learn and practice And it means saying no to other things all the time. And it's going to be uncomfortable and feeling all of the emotions that go with this process. Hmm. Like nobody wants to feel confused and worried and bad, but that's part of the platter of emotions. And if you're always running toward being happy and excited, you're on a hamster wheel with like choosing what's next, what's next. Right, right, right. So yeah, it's, it's so interesting, because I wonder if like, also behind this is this, you know, you, the fear factor also plays into it, like, mm-hmm. well, I don't really want to fail at this. So maybe this idea is better, right. And then next thing we know, we're, oh, this idea. And mm-hmm. again, we still haven't taken action. And yeah. I always say that the clarity comes from the action, right? It's in yeah. the doing that the magic actually happens. And so 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 what is it? We, we should just stick to one thing, try it out and then pivot if we need to. Part of it is getting, we want to try, like you said, so we don't fail. So part of it is 
acknowledging that failure is a necessary part of this process. You have to fail a hundred times and keep going. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying, we do committing. And Mm. you have to commit to the result that you want. I work with people for a year or more on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is a skill in itself because nobody wants to commit because they don't want to fail. But your treasure is at the end of that and all the lessons along the way. Right, 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 right. And it's, yes. And I guess, I guess part of this conversation is that in order to commit, yes, you might have five ideas in front of you, right? That are just like, you're this, that, that seems like this could work, that could work. And you want to minimize the risk or you want to evaluate where's the real money maker because at the end of the day this is a business and where am I help serving better and the most amount of people is that the part where I mean in every area I think a coach helps but but I think in particular maybe that's where a coach can really help you say you know what this is where you need to be headed yeah. um right that's interesting because when I only coach personal chefs I would have called now I know to call it consulting because I would tell them exactly what to do. If you want this, do these 10 steps. And I had a course and I had everything. Now I almost do the opposite, uh-huh. which I teach them how to make decisions on their own to take responsibility for all their thoughts and feelings and what they create so they can keep doing it no matter what. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I want you to tell us more. I mean, how do we coach ourselves? (laughs) You have to learn how to, because you can't, it's, we want to give that responsibility to somebody else. It's like, tell me what to do and then I'll be, I'll do it and I'll be successful. But what if you do it and you're not successful and it doesn't work, then you want to go blame the person Mm -hmm. or the circumstance. But how we teach it now is, our thoughts about it is what makes it your experience, your feelings, your actions, and your results. Mm -hmm. So we go through the model a million different ways so they can see what they're getting now and where they want to be. And then we do the obstacles in between and we anticipate them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not a road paved with gold. A million things are going to happen like up and down. And that's where a coach comes in and picks you up and focuses you like that. Right, right. So it's like you're taking them through the process of building the roadmap with as much clarity as possible so that they could actually commit to it. Like this yeah. is what this is what you sh- this is what this is going to look like, what you should expect. How is that feeling? What is coming up for you? You know, now you got to make a decision. Like that's this is where you're headed in your business. Yeah. And learning to make a decision and stick with it. Because we always want to jump ship when it's not the immediate result we want. But we're doing stuff now for things three, six, 12 months from now, Mm -hmm. like how we show up now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of entrepreneurs in the beginning don't get that. They're like, nobody's booking. I have no money. I don't want to do this. And I'm like, in six months, you're building the foundation. And then like you got to kind of delay that gratification. And we teach that also. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just make me think that um, as we're talking about entrepreneurship, was it in your case, I always feel like, um, you know, you, 
there there are many scenarios where we could have one one profession or one career, one job opportunity that could be our investor for our you know new venture. In your case, would you say that continuing to consult the professional chefs mm-hmm. was kind of like the investor that was financing the startup of you know you building this consult this coaching business? Not really. Uh huh. I still love that population and I feel like I could teach it so well, but it wasn't really my motivation for doing this next thing. If that makes sense. I'm like a burn all bridges girl. I don't, I didn't, I don't want a job or an income just so I can start the next thing. Mm-hmm. I have to like throw away everything mm-hmm. and for like force that action and start it and rely on myself to make it work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what is, what is the part that is still so satisfying about that work, which is more of a consulting work, whereas working yeah. with entrepreneurs that are in their first three years of business and might come from all different areas and being a coach to them? Yeah. It's fun to be an expert at, you know, that, and to know that like, I'm going to teach you the right way to do this. And if you do it, you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to be so happy and blah, blah. But it's like even more gratifying to teach people how to fish on their own instead Mm -hmm. of just handing them the fish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does that make sense? Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have another friend who does it like that. Um, She's been on the show and she runs her um, music licensing business and she's made, she's been very successful at it, but through the process, she discovered that really her magic is in anybody discovering how to use their creativity to build a business, like how to actually live, you know, Uh, make profit with your passion, let's just say, Mm -hmm. right? So she still has her, you know, music licensing business kind of running on autopilot. And she dedicates most of her time to helping, you know, to programs where she helps people um, find what they really love to do and make a career out of it. So very similar. It's very interesting that it's uh, Mm -hmm. most recently I've, I've, I've come across two women who are doing something so similar, because again, one is so specific, right? One like personal chef, music licensing. It's like super, super specific. Mm-hmm. And the other one is just a little bit broader, broader, which I've actually heard. And I've taught this to other women that um, sometimes when we go too broad at the beginning, not sometimes, I would say all the time, it ends up costing us in time and money, like yeah. better start narrow and small. And then you'll have the luxury of expanding and widening your audience or your service or your product. Would you agree to that? Totally. Yeah. It's too confusing. You don't know what you're even catching in your net in the beginning when it's so big. Yeah. 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 And as uh, my friend, Kathy Heller always says, confused buyers don't buy, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's true. It's true. If it's a little confusing, it's too confusing. That's the bottom line. So let's talk about habits. Um, because again, like what, what the, the role of habits, how does, how does, how does these fit in and, and talk to us a little bit about habits for financial success, for business success, or maybe what you, Stephanie, practice habitually, let's just say. Yeah. One of the things that shifted my world upside down, and now that I teach clients also, it seems so easy, but you're going to plan to do something and then you do it. 
you're going to say you're going to do something and then you match it with that action. Oh my gosh, this is already huge. Again, going back to the beginning, right? Going back to the beginning. You had that idea, you told your accountability partner, you do it, you can't just drop it. (laughs) You said you were going to call somebody at this time, you call them. Like, it's so simple, but I cannot even tell you the people that don't have that confidence in themselves to say something and do it, never get past year one, never. Mm. Because they're always fighting with themselves. And then you're always making yourself wrong. There's something wrong with me. Why can't I do this? There's nothing wrong with you. Just follow your calendar and what you set out to do. That's a big, big lesson. Right. So I guess the habit there would be, we're going to stick it in the calendar. We're going to make the list of actions. We're going to stick it in the calendar. And you were actually going to do it. (laughs) Even if you don't feel like it, you will not feel like it when it comes up, when it's time to work out, you are not going to want to work out, but you go do it anyway. Yeah. Because you feel amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to whatever, write this copy for Facebook. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because somebody needs to hear that message. The same thing. Right. And, and, and all the excuses come up, right? Well, I'm not feeling creative right now. Well, I, you know, something else came up. I wonder if it's more pervasive in women than men. No, men have, I coach a lot of men. They have a ton of excuses. Oh, really? Oh, okay. That makes it different. Yeah. They're just different excuses. Not the kid, the kid's school called. It's not that. Those are our excuses. Yeah. Those are ours. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What are theirs? I'm just curious. I'm trying to think. So my husband is an Israeli and has owned several businesses, but his latest business, he, he's a handyman, he owns a handyman service and he has a ton of excuses. And it's basically like anything from, I should fire this worker, but I don't want to, or I know anything you could think of men do the same thing, but it's not usually related to family or like emotions. (laughs) That's related to something else. (laughs) Amazing. So wait, so that was one habit. Do you have anything else for us? Yeah. Let me think, which is like total game changer. Sit in the muck. Like if it feels bad or you don't like something, instead of trying to run away from it in business, also in life, just be there. Because we're all running away to the next thing. That's why you want a new idea. That's why you want a new product and try something new. Because you want to get away from how you feel. Just freaking feel it. And then you won't need to keep running and and process that emotion, which is something we're also never taught. We really aren't. eh? We we really, really aren't. Okay. I love those tips. So, okay. That's it for tips or you got something else for us? I think that's good. Okay. Okay. And all right. And, and so now let's translate this into financial success. Um, Where does the money mindset come into play in all of this process? Because I know it does. Yeah. It's so important because I think people aren't taught to receive ever, let alone receive money. Mm -hmm. And it will come out in not billing or collecting money on time, not asking the price that you want, giving out refunds when you don't want to. It'll play out a lot of ways. But if you're taught to receive and to ask for money for what you want, that's a game changer. Mm -hmm. Um. For me, 
I got to the point really early that money didn't make me happy. And I was really pissed <laughs> because I don't know if you noticed this because I know you coach on money a lot. Yeah. But it was very annoying to have this a lot of money and not be happy. And then I thought, wow, something's really wrong now. I better figure this out. So Okay. okay. And what did you figure out? This is super interesting. I'm loving this. So what did you figure out? I figured out through coaching and through training that it's an emotion that you really want. You want to feel secure. You want to feel safe. You want to feel like you have options. And you think money creates that, but it's also created by many other things. Mm -hmm. So when you do have that money and you're not happy, it's fine. You don't have to quit or choose something else. You have to figure out what other emotions you want to feel? And then how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and the bottom line is that the money can never um, s- satisfy a need that needs to be satisfied by something else. Mm-hmm. So it, it does get a little tricky because we really have to be very clear on what our needs are and, you know, and, and how to satisfy them. But yeah, the money does help, but um, it doesn't guarantee that once you're making the million dollars or the half a million dollars or whatever your goal was, um, that you're going to feel in bliss. No, the, yeah. the bliss, <laughs> you got to work a little bit deeper. Now, talking about money, it just made me think about goals. How do you feel about goal setting? You know, now we're at the beginning of the fiscal year and this is the whole conversation and we set our goals and blah, blah, blah. My question is, should we be setting these big audacious goal goals or should we be aiming for something more manageable that's still pushing us a little bit out of our comfort zone? How, where, where, do, where do you hold on that? I've changed my stance on this recently. Okay, let's hear it. Tell you why. We shoot, we plan impossible goals, like absolutely unrealistic, like will never happen. And that's what I teach my clients to do. It's what I do for myself because the journey of who you become, getting there, shooting higher is way better than doing something you know is realistic. Okay. So the strategic byproducts you learn along the way who I meet, where I show up, what I do, everything mm. changes. If I'm trying to get to 5 million, even if I know that's not going to happen, like, I don't care. Versus I'm going to make 200,000 this year, which I know I could do because I've done it before. That's not compelling. This is such a long road of a million things for me to do and feel and be to get there. But on the flip side, what about the fact that your subconscious is going to tell you right away, 5 million, you're like yeah. totally off the mark. And then you're going to stop yourself from making the 200,000, you know, Just, like where's yeah. the middle ground here? Because if you, if we say, okay, last month we finally broke, I don't know, the $10,000 month mark right now, I want to make 20,000 or I want to make the 10,000 consistent, or I want to make, you know. 25,000 months consistently or hundred, whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. You know, it's not like we're staying in what we already achieved. We want to go a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, how do we reconcile this? I think it's counterintuitive what I'm saying. Definitely. Yeah. It makes no good sense. But if let's say I want to make 5 million, I know it's not going to happen. Your brain almost stops fighting you with it versus 
having fun and trying new things, getting there. Mm-hmm. If I go for 200,000, I know mm-hmm. the plan to get there. I've done that before. I'm going to stick to it because I don't want to fail. Mm-hmm. If you're on the way up here, you're going to be willing to fail and get used to it over and over so much so that you become a different person. I'd rather go for 5 million and know I'm not going to do it than go for two and then be stay there. You know what I mean? Like, okay, but 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 still, if if I'm at 200, and I say, I'm gonna make 500. Mm-hmm. That's not super big, bold and audacious. Yeah, but it's still I've never done it. I know how to do 200. Yeah. But I don't know how to scale to a million or to half a million. Mm-hmm. I don't like safety. <laughs> because uh-huh, because you want a realistic goal. And I don't want a realistic goal. I want something crazy. Dang, you want something crazy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is the first time I have to be honest that I've heard that something crazy is going to drive us there. Whereas usually the conversation is like I said before, something crazy, you're just gonna your brain right away is gonna stop you from even making the two hundred thousand or the two fifty yeah. or the five hundred. That's usually how um th- that's the usual narrative. Like yeah. I guess I also want to introduce possibility mm-hmm. and taking off like the blinders of the past. You, it's almost like you have to like break the shell of it mm-hmm. just to dream. Like think of the guy from Amazon, Jeff Bezos or right. Tesla. They don't think like normal people like we do over here. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to like open your mind to, I guess, with the goal setting. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. But I just wanted to like bring this out of you. And I yeah. think there's also a there's also something else here that you start behaving, you start taking actions and surrounding yourself and, and also even investing like the mm-hmm. people that are at that level, right? Yeah. You start giving at that at a different level, you start investing in your business and in your coaching at a different level, you, you take different risks and, and even calling people like, I think it, I think that's what it, it takes us to, to the action, which again, brings mm-hmm. the clarity, which again, brings all those positive emotions and all those positive thoughts. Again, you know, it's like how it how we get there. Totally. That's it. Has your home taken a backseat during this pandemic and you really need to start decluttering and simplifying things so that you can come into Passover with ease and grace? Balagan Begon comes to the rescue with a 36-day painless Pesach decluttering challenge. For $36, yes, that's a dollar a day, you will get a daily email with a decluttering challenge that takes 15 to 30 minutes to execute, a video explaining what to do, no more than two minutes long, a workbook to keep you on schedule and organized, access to power hours, and so much more. Head over to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days. That's the number 36 days and join today. Challenge starts February 14. Let's get our homes and ourselves ready for Passover. Head over to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days.
I love it. Okay, so let's let's shift gears to your life, Stephanie. Um, I, I'd love to ask my guests always, what do the words a joyful, richer Jewish life mean to you? What comes to mind when you hear that? I think of the word of choices mm. and having ritual incorporated in your life as a choice. That's really important. Again, doing things that other people maybe aren't doing just because you are a part of a ritual and a part of a bigger community. That's important to us. Yeah. 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 I like that. Um, actually, I want to backtrack a little bit and ask you, you said you had a myth of a crisis and you were looking for those four things. And one of them was to not have limit on your income. So one could assume that you worked on your money mindset somewhere along the way to even build this business that was different from what your peers were doing. And mm -hmm. the standard was just no, what do you mean you're going to be a personal chef, but you did it and you obviously charged and you charged well and you build that to half a million dollars plus in revenue. So at what point does the money switch happen and 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 perhaps there was no switch but you were very clear that one of your goals was not having an income ceiling so mm -hmm. yeah so what was happening there that that kind of like you said i don't want to be wherever i am whatever i'm doing in new york city it's just you know yeah i think also even backtracking growing up i didn't have both my parents were school teachers nobody i knew was an entrepreneur Um, it was just, we didn't even know that was an option. Right. And then I went to camp, like a, um, you know, a New York Jewish camp, which right. girls go to. And I saw all these rich girls and their parents had Mercedes and BMWs. And I was like, why are we different? Like I didn't understand. And as I grew up, it was like, you work hard for money. All the things were told money doesn't grow on trees. And I was just like, this cannot be why we're on this earth. Like this makes no sense. And I kept working hard in Manhattan for money. Mm -hmm. And then I was never happy. My quality of life was really poor. And I just said, Some, I got my paycheck one day and I was just hysterically crying. And I was like, this cannot be why I'm on this earth. Like it made no sense anymore. Like all the pieces fell apart. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what if I just stop focusing on that? And I focused on feeling good and helping people. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of broke it loose a little bit. And also finding new people to be with who had what you want. Yes. Like I was with everyone I knew stayed home with their kids and didn't have businesses. Mm -hmm. Like they went to law school because their parents told them. Mm -hmm. And I like, was like, I'm going to start a business. Like everything I did was just the opposite. And then you grow into that and you find who else is doing that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. This definitely sounds familiar. You know, it's so interesting because you said about the whole working hard. It's one of those limiting beliefs that it's so pervasive. And I, I definitely have that. And, um, And I worked so hard in school and I worked so hard when I used to work in finance. And, you know, it was like, you have to work a 60 hour a week a right. job or there's like this badge of honor, right? 70 hour a week, of course, you know, that's how you make your bonus. Otherwise, why, you know, why are they paying you? 
<laughs> and and then when you when you shift to entrepreneurship and you realize, well, no, my goal is to work less and make more, sure. but you have to always be so mindful that you still have that that you really have to work yeah. on. And I'm using that as an example. There are many other limiting beliefs and things, but I know for myself, it's one of those things like. No, no, no. It's not hard. It doesn't have to be hard. And you do not have to stay up till one in the morning. It's totally fine. You can mm -hmm. sleep. You can like, yeah. <laughs> nobody's checking whether you're deliverables. Just yeah. do what you need to do and go to bed, right? Exactly. Totally. So crazy. How much is right here in the brain that we're not even aware of? Yes. And our culture. I mean, we live in a culture that glorifies being busy. Busy. Yes. 80 hours a week for what? So you can be addicted to email and never see your kids. And like the price is just too high. Mm -hmm. I thought. Yeah. yeah, the price is too high, which, which makes me want to ask you, um, you know, there are ways to design a business where we especially when it comes to women, I think family is a big priority. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I see these things where, yeah, but the, again, the even even if such a, as, as an entrepreneur, the price is too high. Yeah, the, there's a lot of money there. I see some of my friends are making a lot of money, but the truth is they're addicted to that work, yeah. even yeah. if they're supposedly they built it to be with their kids. And so yeah. they're constantly. So how do we incorporate that? Do we have to have like super again, we have to incorporate it into our clarity or model that you know, the family, like, how do we tie all this together so that we stay on track, not just meeting our revenue goals, mm -hmm. but also the goals that we want it personally, because we want this business to work with our life, right? It's so funny, because you mentioned that addiction part of it is you become addicted to the identity. And the dopamine and the positive feedback you get from your business. I know I did that for many years, especially like you walk in a room and you say you're a personal chef, people are like, Oh my God. And you, all you want to do is spend your time doing that. So you get more of that positive feedback. And it was very hard to move away from that because I was giving away that identity and I had nothing to go into. Like, yes, I was a mom, but what I teach now is to get your dopamine and your high from other things mm. at the same time. Because if you just get it from your business, you always want to go back to that. I love that. Find the yeah. other ways that you're going to get your high. Your dopamine. You <laughs> really love that. Yeah. Because like, I, I know I wrote like on some of your questions, like the most important thing is I listen to my kids laugh for 30 minutes a day. Mm. I don't care what else happens? That is my goal. And I get high from that. I get high from like, my husband thinks I don't even cook anymore. So when he comes home and there's food, <laughs> he's like beyond himself. So I do that at least once or twice a week. That's another high. Like I think of other highs for myself. This is super cool because it, it forces us to become intentional. Again, it's just mm -hmm. about the intentionality, intentionality yeah. in my life. Like I say family is important. Okay, but what does that really mean? How are you going to actually nourish that part of yourself that that is family? Like where is you're going to find the pockets of joy in the family? Okay, so I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day, no matter what, unplugged, just hanging out with my kid, mm -hmm. you know? Um, or surprising my husband with dinner that he didn't expect. 
this is really, really, really interesting because we just go through the motions. Yeah. We usually just go through the motions. Yeah. Right. It also won't be as exciting and as like that high of getting it from work. And this also, I think women have a problem with disconnecting with, you want that high from work because you feel good and you're making a lot of money and you're important. But then when you're with your kids, you don't get that same. Yeah. (laughs) But it's still worthwhile in another way. And that's also what you have to build or like cleaning up my, I could have somebody clean my house every day. We only have her come once a week because I want to feel good taking care of my house. Do you know what I mean? Like choosing something else. That is so interesting. I can't agree with you on that. I agree with the concept in principle, <laughs> yeah. but that is not going to give me my high. I'll right. tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. I want to ask you this because you mentioned to me that you guys ended up making Aliyah at some point and mm-hmm. then you came back. Yeah. What was that all about? Yeah, I realized when I wrote that's probably a little confusing. I made Aliyah before I got married. Totally. Oh, I was in Arizona. And I was like, never got over my love for Israel. I felt like I wanted to marry somebody Israeli, I should just be there. I had all these great reasons. And I went there. And it was not as I thought, I -hmm. thought it would be easier. Mm -hmm. And when I went there when I was younger on like a teen tour, and then I lived there again, it just wasn't that same thing. And I was like, this is not going to work. I wanted my high from work, my personal chef business. And people didn't want it there like they did here. And the day I bought my ticket home, I got my first job as personal chef there, literally in a home. And I had to say no. Yeah, it was crazy because I was like just done. I was emotionally exhausted. So I came back and I met my husband here. This was a real test. Yeah, it was was crazy. This was a crazy test. You had to say no and just, okay, no, I closed this door and I'm going to go try it in America. But I guess it was, I guess you passed the test because you got your husband (laughs) who you thought you're going to meet over there. Exactly. He was already here in New York. I grew up in New York. He was there. Like we were everywhere in the same place, but just this much off. It was really weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Same here with mine. That's so interesting. Um, I want to ask you this now that you're talking about your husband. Um, Stephanie, are there any, is there a particular or a few, it doesn't matter, any Jewish value that you hold dear and plays, I guess, a big part of your life, whether it be because you learned it from your parents' home growing up, or you incorporated into your life later as an adult, either by yourself or your husband brought it into the family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say telling the truth, even mm-hmm. though I, I know that sounds so simple. But it's not, right? A lot of people don't, do, and especially to yourself. We lie to ourselves all day. Um, That's a real value I learned growing up. Um, And then with my husband and our family, because his parents are American, but made Aliyah 40 years ago, Mm -hmm. but he's really Israeli. Mm -hmm. So his values were different than mine. Like he doesn't know a lot of American Jewish customs. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. But um. Well, yeah, it's very different. It's very different. Yeah. I think taking care of yourself and being responsible for your own lot in life, 
was something we both came to the table with. Mm. Like I was an entrepreneur when we met, he was also an entrepreneur. He was like, this is how I want it to be, you know, kind of like, this is a two income household. We're going to do this together. It wasn't like you should stay home and take care of our kids. He, that's important to him to that. I take care of myself too. Interesting. And for me too. That is so interesting. Match made in heaven. There you go. You know, you talked about telling the truth and immediately I thought, and you said, you know, how often do we lie to your, to ourselves? Is that connected? And here's a, I'm asking you as a life coach, is that connected to this, like not listening to our intuition? Mm-hmm. Like, like is, is that what we do? Like, we're not, we're not in tune with our intuition. And then we kind of like lie to ourselves or delude ourselves into like, we like, like, cause I think listening to our intuition is like a big feminine one. Like we're so intuitive, but just as you, we talked before, we're not, we don't, we're not taught to receive and we're not taught to process emotions. We're also not very good and not taught to actually hold space for that intuition and listen to it. Yes. And I think it's connected to people pleasing a lot, mm-hmm. especially with women. It's those two are like hand in hand because you're so conditioned to please everything outside of you and to be a nice, good girl, especially a nice Jewish girl. And you don't talk a lot and you're not that loud and you look a certain way. And it's just trying to please all of those things Mm -hmm. leads you to not listen to your intuition. I think. Yeah, I know. It's huge. It's, it's, it's really huge. And um, I guess as entrepreneurs, we probably should. Yeah. <laughs> because it goes back to that thing that you said you teach people like you have to coach yourself. It's not mm-hmm. about like, well, my coach told me, or my therapist told me, or my, yeah. you know, <laughs> not wanting to not be liked. That's also a big thing. Yeah. It's like, if I don't please everybody, they're not going to like me. And then what happens? That's a big part of it, too. That is a big part. Yeah, that is a big part of adulting in general. Like you have to take a position about where you stand and not everybody's going to like you. And by the way, you're not, your business is not going to serve everybody and not yeah. everybody's going to like you as a business owner. And that's okay. They're, they're mm-hmm. for another service provider. They're not for you, which is totally fine. There's for everybody, right? Definitely. Let's do a fun thing that I do with all my guests. I coronate all my ladies here on the show with the following Um, fill in the blanks. Okay. So this is going to be perfect for you because you're not allowed to overthink it, which is (laughs) your thing. So I'm going to put you to the test here. All right, here we go. I'm Stephanie Heller and I feel most spiritual when I'm hearing people speak Hebrew. Really? Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Do you guys make it a point to go often to Israel? Yeah. Well, not with pandemic times. Of course. Yeah. We, um, at least once a year. And then his parents come here once a year and then we meet once a year. So yeah. Oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. One of my big um, audacious goals is to have a property in Israel. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. No, good luck with that. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, come on. Oh, come on, Stephanie Heller. (laughs) Dream big. Yeah. Why not? Of course you can. I I mean, other people say, well, why don't move here? Well, I don't think I want to move there. I don't know. Okay. Some people don't like when I say that some days I say, I want to move there. Some days I say, I just want my own little property there that I can land on whenever I feel like you're you're allowed to have your own dreams. It doesn't have to be on the app for everybody. All right. 
the one thing I do know, it has to be by the beach. That's all I know. I want water. Right. I want water. All right. My favorite mitzvah or one I connect with the most is? Lighting Shabbat candles every week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's special. What can I tell you? It's yeah. a, a, a top 10 on the show. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? I don't know if this is a Jewish memory, but we, my parents grew up in the Bronx and we would get in a car with my grandparents and drive around the old neighborhood and look for like where they went to synagogue and where they went out to dinner and the park they went to. And she would tell me how she would walk to school. So that's like a good memory. I think of it as a Jewish That's memory. so sweet because, you know, I don't, I don't live now in the place I grew up. So my kids don't have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but my husband grew up here where I'm, I'm in Houston, Texas. And so he, he does do that. Like, so he's shown them like this are the apartment buildings where, you know, I lived till I was seven and this is where we played and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's very nice. All right. Yeah. And this is a synagogue and this is how we walk to the JCC and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. All right. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is. That's a good one. Um, I grew up reform. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what really Shabbat was. Mm -hmm. They didn't teach. They taught us what it was, but not like how you really observe. And there were Orthodox and conservative shuls near us. And I would be like, why are they walking? And my mom would just be like, oh, they're just walking to synagogue. Like I never even understood until I went to Israel the first time and you you live near the shul on purpose so you could walk. Like, I didn't know. I wish I knew that. I yeah. wish I knew more of that growing up. That's, 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 that's true. It's, it's, it's a uh, very often we don't, we don't even know, like we know there's such a concept as lighting some candles. They teach it to us in like Hebrew school. Right. But the whole, what, what, what it involves is like so foreign. And, and, and at, on the other hand, it's so eye opening because we, when you're in a place like Israel, you see that it's such a big part of life. Yes such a huge part of life, like Shabbat, like, of course, like, yeah. you know, even a minimum, like, I remember the first time we moved to Israel, we, we used to live in Israel. Um, like, my husband told me, call your friends. Like, like, even your friends that don't keep Shabbat, like everybody like, or he made a comment, like, or he was calling all his friends. And like, I was like, why are you call like, what's what's the deal? He's like, before Shabbat. Call, like, before Shabbat, yeah. like, we all called to say Shabbat Shalom. And like, yeah, it was a thing. And I used to have tons of friends from way before when I was younger, who had made Aliyah, who weren't even observant, but then we always would call each other before mm -hmm. Shabbat. It was like, that's, that's what you do, right? Um, all right. When I give tzedakah charity, I like to give to I like an organization we have here in Arizona called Jack, which is Jewish Arizonans on campus. Mm -hmm. And they basically help college kids who are Jewish have a place to be. Cause I remember in college, you're not really connected to that until you go and have kids. And then you're looking for a synagogue. Like there's this gap mm -hmm. in reform life. And if we had had that when I went to college, I think that would have been helpful <laughs> because you're a little disconnected. So I like that organization and we give to them and we donate other stuff too. 
That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is so important. That's why, you know, we have Chabad houses on campus and we have Hillel's and all of it is just so it's important that you, I like that you brought it up because the truth is for any of the listeners who are in that age where your kids are going to college, you know, try to find a place. I mean, not that I don't know how much say parents have in where their kids go, but you know, if you have any say, try to find a place where there is some way for your child to be connected. And if you can facilitate that connection, even better. All right. Finally, I'm Stephanie Heller. And today I feel most grateful for. I do the simple things. I like clean air. I like sunshine. And I listen to my kids laugh for 30 minutes a day, minimum. Oh my gosh, I'm going to remember that one. That one is so like that visual of listening to your kids laugh 30 minutes a day. I'm going to take, I'm going to borrow it because it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty powerful. I didn't ask you this and I'm going to, uh, we're going to share with, with listeners where to find you. I didn't ask you this before, but I do want to dive into this for just a few minutes before we wrap it up. Failure. <laughs> and we did talk about the fact you did say that there are going to be tons of failures and that's part of the doing. And we want to, we want to, we want to be doing and we want to be failing and, you know, is it fa- fail fast, fail forward, all those things. Right. But I want to talk to you about your failures. Was there like, what are those failures that you feel are like the big highlights in your life? that really move the needle in terms of your self-growth? Um, it could be as a business owner, it could be personal failures. Can you talk to those a little bit? Yeah, I could think of like three humongous ones where I thought at the time life was ending, uh-huh. but the best things came next or awesome. grew from there. When I was a personal chef, I think years three or four, I got a contract to work for the Dodgers in spring training. Mm-hmm. It was the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. It was more than half a million dollars. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I had to get it. It was like this ego thing. And I partnered with a caterer to help me execute it because I only cooked in the home and we had to cook in the stadium, everything. Mm -hmm. It went crazy. Everything went wrong that you could think went wrong. It was a shit show beyond belief. We got through it. The spring training was six weeks, that contract. And they wanted to continue with me, not with the catering company, but I could not get myself out of how I failed them and how I was so out of my elements. And this wasn't for me that I walked away from the whole thing. And I had like post-traumatic stress from that for years because it was like, the biggest break ever. That would have been unreal. So that was one thing. Uh Uh-huh. And what came out of it? Like what transformation happened out of it? So many. I couldn't manage. I had to learn how to manage people, which I could not do. I had to learn how to manage myself. I had to walk away from things that were totally outside of my scope that I couldn't learn in time to give even a regular result that they wanted. Um, Saying no to high profile people who want you to say yes. <laughs> and they're used to hearing yes all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I my daughter was two at the time. And I would come home, I would work 18 hours a day, and she wouldn't even come to me. And then I was like this, I'm done. Like, I not can't. worth it. Not yeah. worth it. Right? Okay. So that was a that was a pretty heavy one. Yeah. <laughs> what else you got for us? You said you had three. <laughs> what else? Um, I had my twins when I was 39, which was interesting. No, it was amazing, but like it was very, very, very hard. And I considered part of that like not a failure, but like it didn't happen on a timeline that I thought everything should, as you know, a regular Jewish mom. And I was an only child, so I'm like, we are not just having one kid no matter what. And like, it was craziness, but there was a lot of like personal, I thought I failed a lot of things and not being on time with 
those things. Mm. What, a lesson. Yeah. what a lesson to let go of the timeline, huh? Yes. Somebody was arguing with me recently on social media. Yeah, but what happens when, you know, you want certain things in life and, you know, the due date they said or the deadline or the due date has certainly passed and you're still, you know, you're still struggling and God has not answered your prayers and, you know, it's not happening like you set it out to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I empathize, but I also have learned that God's timeline is not mine and I better let go of mine if I want to live a joyful life. Exactly. That's your story about how it should happen. That's like a manual. And then there's God's time, the best, whatever is meant to unfold. So such a big lesson. Such a big lesson. Did you want to share a third one? Because you said you had three big ones. The third one, Um, deciding to close my personal chef business and sell part of it, which just happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. And moving away from that identity, because I was so addicted to that high, honestly, Mm. it was very hard, very hard. It was excruciating to make that decision. Mm. Which begs the question, do you yourself get coached? Yes. Of course. Of course, right? We're all coachable. Yeah. We have to be coached. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Stephanie, tell us where we can find you. So I think first place would be come to my website, stephanieheller.com. You could pop in, say hello. Also on Facebook, I hang out the most. And I have a group called the Profit Lounge, which is entrepreneurs making their way, doing all sorts of things, talking to each other, helping each other. We do teachings and guest speakers. So that would be a good place to come. Amazing. We're going to put that in the show notes and have everybody follow you. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being here. So much fun. Thank you. Thanks to Stephanie Heller for stopping by. You can find her at stephanieheller.com and join her free private Facebook group, The Profit Lounge. All right, guys, here are the takeaways. Number one, train yourself to commit to whatever you say you're going to do and actually doing it from the big things to the small things. Number two, talking about big things, set crazy impossible goals because your brain won't even fight you on that big goal and on your way there, you will actually become the person that you want it to become. Three, you might reach a certain financial goal in life and still not be happy. So fine tune what it is that you need and the money can certainly buy some of that, but remember that you can never get enough of what you don't need. Number four, beware of the myth of making money is hard or you must work really hard for your money. Five, change your environment and surround yourself with people who are doing the type of things you want to be doing and building the life that you want to build. Six, get your highs from other things, things other than your business. One good example is to listen to your kids laughter for 30 minutes a day. Yeah, that could actually be a goal. Set up goals like those so that you are getting your high, not just from your business success, from, but from other areas of your life. Thanks so much for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating. I actually forgot to pick the review of the week earlier, but do leave those reviews because they are the most helpful thing you can do for the show. And I will be picking a reviewer of the week every week and we'll get to have a 20 minute conversation with about anything you want. And that's become one of my favorite things to do. So do that. That is super helpful. And if you speak Spanish, ladies, 
you might want to know that I have just, I don't know, it's two weeks old, a new WhatsApp group. Well, it's several groups on the same topic. It's just a repetition. So just because one got filled, we had to open another one. And then I think we're opening a third one this week, I heard. Um, it's all in financial wisdom. Send me a DM on Instagram and I will send you a link to join the group, the WhatsApp group. You can also join my membership, which is bursting with incredible financial transformation content and sessions with me. And it's absolutely awesome. It's all in Spanish. It's at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash momentum. And of course, also the link is on my Instagram bio, etc. And of course, for those of you who prefer English, I'm also in my free private Facebook group, Jewish Money Matters. Next week, a very special and cool lady, Nanny Bubby. You don't want to miss this. And we're headed for 150 episodes and for the show's fourth birthday. Can you believe it's been four years? Should we do something special for that? Big milestones, 150 episodes, four years. Send me a DM on Instagram and give me ideas, please. All right, ladies, have a lovely rest of your week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.